Blog Talk Radio. Oye, Tony, avanza, son 7, número 9. Tira, tira, que capicó lo que viene. Oye, mi gente, this is the Urban Hibaro, and you're tuned in to Radio Capicú, the first Latino talk show on the internet, on Block Talk Radio. 500 años hemos sufrido la presión de nuestra raza, pero aquí, entre nosotros, vamos a parar ese desmadre, porque esta tierra es de nosotros, sangre por sangre, blood in, blood out. Wepa, mi gente. What's going on? This is George Torres, the Urban Hibado, and you're listening to the Radio Capicu Show here on Blog Talk Radio. First of all, Happy New Year. I would like to thank everybody for tuning in on our first show of the year. Um, tonight's going to be a very, very special show, so I'm going to go right into it. Um, just wanted to let you know, since I was a very young man, my grandmother always taught me to be a caballero. So since this is the first show of the year, and in Caballerismo 101, we, the first thing that we learn is that ladies come first. So what we're going to do is we're going to have a show in the spirit of Latina empowerment, women empowerment, women's health, it's a, uh, financial investing. We're going to talk about a lot of things that um, that are important to Latinas. Um, we're going to start the show off like that. I have a very special guest host in the second hour of the show. I'll be joined by Maria Ponte. Uh, we have a whole list of, I mean, it's a great, great show. Um, too much to talk about in the beginning. But the first thing I want to do is I want to introduce a very special young lady who's going to kind of set the tone for tonight's show. She's a woman, a poet, a community activist with over 20 years' experience working with women on both the East and the West Coast, and she's definitely going to set the tone tonight. I want you to give a warm welcome to Sandra Garcia Rivera. Welcome, Sandra. Hey, Urban Hibaro, how are you? I'm great, I'm great. I'm glad to have you here. And from what I understand, you're calling us uh, live from Oakland, California. Is that my correct? That's right. I just got home last night, actually. I was in New York all last week. That's where I'm from. Um, so I spent the holiday with family, and I just got in last night. I'm a little jet-lagged, but I'm really excited to be here with you all this evening. Well, it's really important. I mean, we're going to talk about a bunch of things tonight, and we have a bunch of special guests and the West Side's on fire tonight. Uh, <laughs> you know how it is in Oakland. So we have So we have a very special show tonight, and uh, and it's very important because uh, I don't know if you're aware of this, but a lot of the show ideas and a lot of the things that we talk about on the show come directly from our listeners. So you know when we have a conversation about cervical cancer, if we have a conversation about what young Latinas need to do in terms of empowering themselves and getting mentorship and things of that nature. These are things that are coming directly from people who listen to the show. Uh, so I'm very happy to have you here today. And I understand that um, in, the, in, in the process of you setting the tone, you're actually going to read something that we published on Sofrito for Your Soul years ago, correct? Correct. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, um, this subject is very close to my heart, our young women uh, and mentorship and development of our young women and our youth is a subject that I've been uh, working closely with for 20 years. And uh, this piece was written quite a while back, um, inspired by 
an incident on the subway, of course, because you know how the subway is such a great source of material. And uh, it was based on something that I observed, um, the way one young woman, probably about 15, was speaking to her friend. And so uh, this is what I I wanted to tell her something because I wasn't feeling the way she was talking to her homie. But, you know, that can also be tricky as well, just stepping up to a young lady on a subway. So um, what I did was I wrote my response to her in the form of a poem. Sorry. Okay, great. So the poem is called Ceremony for a Six-Train Trampoline Queen. Hey, little sister, stick your baby fats back in your dreams. Is there no ritual or rites of passage for a six-train trampoline queen? Fourteen on the way to 25, barely realizing you're alive, yet body of woman you behold. Flashed like fruit in market, fresh to be sold. Mango burst in belly, tender, dripping juice, barely slender over the waist of your skin-tight jeans, your breasts inverted tangerines, and you know it, Miss Sweet Wanna Be 16. Will there be a quinceañera promenading purity down the block, or a Sexy and 17, libido going nonstop. Any honor for you? Is there no clue of your potential or respect you are due? Hanging out with girls, easily impressed. You're nasty as you express unconsciously the image you project. No respect. Got the nerve to call your homegirl stupid, idiot, dummy, jerk. Yet who you to put your friend down playing big and bad on the underground? Your self-esteem's a glass pedestal, can fall and break, so fragile. Because the minute she checks and responds, you better step off, and then it's gone. We'll see who's got it going on. She'll have self-respect, she claimed, in spite of all the times you called her out her name. And what will be your claim to fame? Mira. Whatever happened to that little putita around the way? Yo, didn't she get pregnant while Johnny's girl was away? Gave herself to any guy who told her he'd stay? Bendito wore her womanhood like a mask in a play. I hope the shards aren't too small to stick together with glue. And when your homegirl's gone, hope you find a new crew. Mamita, let me give you one small clue. With womanhood? The physical, it's only one thing to do. Strength of spirit and mind are what get you through. Divine hands make you a vehicle for life. Precious, disposable, lover or wife. So little homegirl, start asking without further ado, where is the ceremony of womanhood for you? Punto. Punto. I I think I knew every character in that poem. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. We and, know and that very... there are nieces and our and our daughters and our little sisters. 
um, our little cousins, our little homegirl on the corner, on the block. She's everywhere. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. So that's why we put this show together today. So now tell me a little bit more about the work that you did. You said 20 years, and I know that that's a long time. We don't have 20 years to talk about it. But give us a quick overview of, uh, of who you are and what you do in Oakland, California. Sure. Well, I've been, uh, you know, I'm from New York City originally, and I have worked um, in the Lower East Side, in Harlem, in the South Bronx, and I've also worked in the Mission District of San Francisco and worked with young women from Bayview, from the Mission, from the Excelsior, and uh, the different kinds of programs that I have either led, been a coordinator of, or been a part of are related to mentorship, to media literacy, to peer leadership, uh, creating job opportunities, uh, creating artistic opportunities, providing exposure to travel, to college uh, programs, all over the place, and all of those avenues are all necessary to uh, give our young women options and direction. Um, and so I've had the opportunity to work with um, ages from age 8 to uh, 18, and then some now in college, and uh, including, you know, in poetry and creative writing opportunities, poetry the Fe- poetry for the people program, and and uh, other such programs. Nice, definitely. Mm-hmm. It definitely sounds like you got a lot going on over there. So, how? Tell me a little bit about the, the Latino community in Oakland. Like, what does that look like yeah, compared to New York since you've been in both places? Sure. Well, when I speak about Oakland, I actually prefer to speak about the Bay Area because the Bay Area um, encompasses San Francisco, Oakland, Berkeley, San Jose, um, and lots of cities and towns, you know, in the area. And the population here is, uh, in comparison, much more Central American, uh, Mexican, and South American as far as population, even though we do have Caribbean young women out here or Caribbean people out here, Puerto Ricans as well. Um, but it's much more dominated by the Central American and Mexican uh, communities, whereas obviously in New York it's a much more Caribbean-based. And with that, the uh, immigration uh, and and issues and uh, concerns related to immigration are very, very strong as well. And, and the issues that come up for young women related to uh, being first-generation or recently immigrated, uh, from education, to, you know, that I think you would find across the board, East Coast or West. Um, and But then they look particular to the regions that people come from and what are the issues confronting their communities there as well. Um, but then you also have, you know, uh, an African-American community that's been displaced by gentrification. You have Latinos in the mission being displaced by gentrification. So some of these things you see across the board, and they definitely impact uh, the way our young women are are trying to move in the world. And, and just for my personal knowledge, uh, what is it like in the English-speaking urban Latino poetry scene? Is this similar to the New Yorker movement? Is it different? How you know, like? Are you talking about like in like for adults or like for for young people or? or... Uh, either or. I mean, you know, obviously, I'm sure that I, I've heard about a lot of different poetry houses that that exist in the West Coast. So I'm just wondering if the if the movement over there is similar to the New Yorker movement of New York. Well, I think here you have a very strong and rich poetry community in the Bay Area. And uh, You Speak started out here as well as um, the Poetry for the People program influenced by June Jordan. 
um, which is now led by Aya de Leon, who is a strong Puerto Rican woman from Berkeley. And uh, uh, there's a, a poetry event that I host. I have a literary series that I host every full moon um, at Galeria de la Raza in the Mission. And uh, gathering under the full moon is obviously something that humans can relate to across ethnic groups. It's, it's one of our most human characteristics. And we've been hosting this series for 13 years. I've been leading it wow. for three years. And uh, so, yeah, it has a really strong, uh, there's a really strong, you know, of course, the poet laureate of California is Juan Felipe Herrera. He is the most prolific Latino writer in the country. Um, so we have a very strong poetry legacy here in the Bay Area and in California, and I am proud to be a part of it, but I also bring my New Yorican flavor, uh, and I'm definitely proud to represent in that capacity. Definitely. I see that you're doing your thing. Now, if somebody wanted to um, get in touch with you for bookings or or for anything profession, from a professional perspective, how would they get in touch with you? Thank you for asking. Um, you can find me easily on Facebook, Sandra Garcia Rivera, and um, you can check in with my poetry series called Lunada Literary Lounge and Open Mic, which is also on Facebook. And um, also I have some contact info in the new anthology, Breaking Ground, the anthology of Puerto Rican women writers, uh, in, uh, edited by Birna Nieves that just came out. It's 40 years of Puerto Rican writers in New York, women writers in New York. I just think that's a great resource that I have to give a shout-out to. And I think as writers as well, there's so many ways we can approach it. I do poetry, but I also have a fairy tale that I wrote in there, a young adult fairy tale for specifically uh, the protagonist is about young women. So there's just so many ways that we can kind of touch on this subject. And um, and I'm easy to find online and, and, and go from there. We'll definitely be putting your links out on the blog. Uh, so people know how to get in touch with you, and I think we should. I think we should talk. I think that there's definitely some uh, some things we could do here on the radio that we could uh, kind of bring the East and the West Coast together on the poetry scene. Yes, I'm really excited about those opportunities for sure. All right. Well, thank you so much for sharing with us, and I hope you listen to the show. Uh, we're gonna go to a quick break, and when we come back, we'll be with uh, we'll be speaking to Tamika Felder and Patty, Patty Murillo Casa from Tamika and Friends, and they're going to talk to us about health awareness, but more specifically cervical cancer and their amazing stories. So keep it locked, people. Ya tu sabes, está aquí en el Radio Capicú on Block Talk Radio. Big shout-out to my man Wicho from Florida. He's been waiting for this show for a long time. He's just been like, yo, when are you coming back on the air, man? When are you coming back on the air? Papa, hace falta los Capicú, you know? So thanks again, uh, Sandra. We hope to talk to you Thank you, you so much. Have a great night. Okay, bye.
entendí muy bien su carnal, ay, que bien trabajar. Señora de madrugada, sin dueño alguno, en su carrera ganada, no vio oportuno. Señora de madrugada, qué desperdicio, en vez de ser bien amada,
so many syllables. Is that even English? Is this the Capicu show or am I listening to the pirated airwave of a Dominican taxi cab? You're listening to the Capicu show. Capicu show live from New York broadcasting worldwide on Blog Talk Radio. Eso es, mi gente, eso es. This is the Capicu Show. You're listening to it live from New York, our first show of the year. We just set off the show with a beautiful poem by Sandra Garcia Rivera, all the way from Oakland, California. And now we're going to get into the meat and potatoes of the show. I want to give a shout-out to everybody out in the chat room, my man Papo Swiggity, Hope Chaser, Dementia Huicho. We have a lot of people in there in the guest uh, queue as well, just so you know. If anybody is in the guest queue, you could actually join Block Talk Radio and join us. And so we can know who you are. We can actually interact with you and everything. All you have to do is set up a Block Talk Radio account. It's free. And you could actually interact with us and get reminders when we have special shows. So, like I said before, this tonight is all about investing in our women, uh, our young ladies. And one of the things that uh, that I found out recently is that this month is Cervical Cancer Awareness Month. So, I kind of went around my uh <laughs> on my Facebook network and I looked around to see who was talking about cervical cancer and I encountered some posts by a young lady named Patty Urios Casa. Now Patty um is one of my uh is, is one of my um gomais on uh the blogger the bloggers of health I think uh we connected on and uh she's been connected to me for quite a while and uh she actually simultaneously connected me. I was already part of a, a listserv but connected me with Tamika Felder. Um, I have both of them on the air tonight. I'm very happy to have them. So I have Tamika Felder, the CEO and Executive Director of Tamika and Friends, and I have Patty Murillo Casa, who is the New York City Chapter President. So welcome, ladies. Hello. Hi, how are you? What is going on? I'm excited to be here. I know Patty is to talk about cervical cancer prevention. Um, it's one of the cancers that we totally can prevent and we can eliminate, and it's really easy to do. We are living testimonies that having cervical cancer is incredibly hard, but preventing it, that's the easy part, just as long as you know how to do it. So um, so obviously, and I, I know this about Patty, but um, Tamika, this is the first time I'm chatting with you. Um, so you're both uh, cervical cancer survivors, am I right? Yes. Um, I was diagnosed when I was 25 years old in 2001. Okay. And Patty? Uh, I was diagnosed in my mid-40s in 2008. Okay. All right. And, and Tamika and Friends, uh, for those of you who are just joining us, is actually uh, was founded in 2005 by cervical cancer and advocate Tamika Felder. It's a registered 501c3 nonprofit organization. They're community-based, dedicated to raising awareness about cervical cancer, and it's linked to HPV, human papillomavirus. 
Very good. Very good, very good. So tell me exactly what HPV is, because I know I don't know what it is, and I know a lot of people out there probably don't know what it is, so... Well, well, let me just start by, you know, with the elephant in the room for the people who may know a little bit. It is a sexually transmitted virus, um, and it's human papillomavirus, also known as HPV, and it's one of the most common sexually transmitted viruses out there. But here's the thing, you know, women and men have this virus, but if your immune system isn't up to par, you can't fight the virus. And that's when you get in trouble and a woman may get an abnormal pap, it may turn into cervical cancer, but we don't want that to happen. So that's why we talk about it. And for the past few years, people really weren't talking about cervical cancer because of the stigma of HPV. And I'll be very honest, I created this nonprofit for very selfish reasons because I didn't want to feel alone and ashamed. And I realized there were other women out there who felt the same way. And I wanted to bring about change, a sisterhood, for women to support each other. But I also knew that um, this virus was something that was very common. And because women didn't know enough about it, you know, they weren't, you know, being proactive with their health. And so really my story and Patty's story is a testimony of what not to happen. And unfortunately, there are women who actually lose their life. Patty and I lost our fertility, but we still have our life, but it will never be the same. But there are so many women who actually lose their life. And in comparison to breast cancer and lung cancer, it doesn't affect women as bad in the U.S. because we have the tools to detect it, and prevent it. But if you look at cervical cancer from a worldwide issue, it's the number one killer of women. If you look at cervical cancer as an issue for women of color, it's a very serious issue. Okay, I just want to really quick, um, I know that we have people listening. If you have any questions for Tamika or Patty, you can call in any time, 646-716-7745. Again, that number is 646 uh, 716-7745, or you can use the Skype button to connect directly to the site. Um, so so uh, how young can an HPV or, can HPV or uh, cervical cancer actually take hold of somebody? It is there really, a certain age? No, it, it really is in reproductive women. Um, most women who are diagnosed with cervical cancer are usually in their late 20s to early 40s. It does affect women uh, later on in life. Um, it, it just it just depends, um, which is why it's very important for women to be screened not only for cervical cancer but HPV. Um, we have powerful tools to prevent it and detect it. First, we have the pap test. And it's a wonderful tool. Before the PAP test in 1952, cervical cancer was the number one killer of women in the United States. Now we also have an HPV test. That test directly detects the cells, the abnormalities that cause cervical cancer. We're talking about the HPV virus. And now we have the HPV vaccine, the first cancer vaccine that was ever created to prevent cancer. Okay. So... Now, your organization obviously works with awareness. Um, I understand that there's also financial assistance for people who may not have insurance. Absolutely. When I was diagnosed, I had wonderful insurance, a wonderful job, 
but I still couldn't make ends meet. And, you know, a lot of times people are too proud to ask for help. I was one of those people. Sure, I had friends and family who would have helped me, but I was too proud to ask for it. You know, one of my girlfriends realized that I needed help, that I was in trouble, and so she decided to help me. And she left a check for $500 um, at my home, and she wouldn't let me pay her back. So I decided to pay it forward. And I started paying it forward through our gift of giving program. And we're lucky because, you know, we don't have a lot of overhead. We all have full-time jobs or we're volunteers. Um, and we're in this because we don't want anyone to suffer the way that we did and because cervical cancer doesn't get a lot of attention. And so I thank you and your audience for really, you know, allowing Patty and I to share our stories. And when Patty came into the organization, she can obviously share her story, but one of the things I'm most proud of is our sisterhood. You know, we may never have met you know, in any other form, but because we both share the burden of cervical cancer, it's brought us together. And she's come on, and she she's, you know, an extension of my family. And she does an amazing job in the New York area and for Latina women. Um, she's raised thousands of dollars for this organization. And the money that she's raised, we're able to not just put in the organization, but to put directly in the hands of women who need it most, not just for medical bills, but for, you know, they may need a babysitter or they just need a spa day to forget that they had cancer. And, you know, I want to take this time to also publicly thank her. So thank you, Patty. Oh, thank uh, you. Thank you, Tamika. Yes, Patty, thank you for all your work, and here in New York especially. Um, Now, my question for Patty is, Patty, um, are you bilingual? Yes, I am. So, so yes, I, 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 I speak both uh, languages. Uh, let me just uh, uh, let me tell you how I came into Tamika and Friends. Um, I was diagnosed. Uh, well, I was a New York City police officer. I I um, I did 20 years in the police department, and I retired in 2008. Um, three months later, after after being retired, thinking that I was going to enjoy my retirement, I got diagnosed with cervical cancer. Um, I didn't expect it. It was a shock. Um, so I, I went through the whole thing. It was uh, it was a tremendous journey, uh, a journey that is uh, that I don't wish it on anybody. But what happened to me is that I did not go to my gynecologist. You see, like Tamika said, uh, the pap test is one of the tools that will let us know, you know, if we're in trouble or not. So um, I went to my gynecologist. Uh, I didn't go to my gynecologist for three years, and when I went, it was a little bit on the late side. I was diagnosed with cervical cancer stage 2B already, which is an advanced advanced stage. Um, wow. I had my, my radiation and my, my chemotherapy, and um, it, it, it took a toll not only on me but in my family because uh, this cancer not only takes your identity but it also affects the people around you, you know. So um, being that said, you know, I, I thank God that he gave me a second chance and I was able to be cancer-free uh, after all my treatments. Um, three months later after that, um, my brother uh, seeing me that I was down still, you know, he um, he was uh, searching the web and he came along with uh, Tamika and friends. We have we have a walk in September, and walk to beat the clock. And he insisted that we went that, that we go and and do the and do the walk. At first I didn't want to, but then I said why why not? 
So that's when I met Tamika Felder. Tamika Felder, it was like um, like a big light in my darkness because um, I get I still get a little emotional talking about. I always get emotional no matter how many times I tell my story or share my story. You know, I it, it just comes right back into the front. Um, so I met Tamika, and she was the one who taught me, you know, to pay it forward. That you know, not to not to feel alone, because I did feel alone, even though I had tremendous tremendous support from my family, my husband. Um, I I fell alone because they didn't know what was uh, what what I was going through, but she did, because she went through it. You know, and so does wow. my cancer survivors, sisters, also. We we all get together and we share. We we know what happened to us, you know. And um, so uh, I became, you know, I I said I I want to be I want to be one of your friends. Um, I want to share my story. I want women to know that my journey doesn't have to be there. And Tamika, Tamika um, invited me to go to, in 2010, she invited me to go to a Young Latino Leaders Summit in, in, the, in, in the U.S. Capitol in Washington, D.C. It was there where I first heard the statistic that really resonated, and I became passionate about this. Latinas are twice as likely to get diagnosed with cervical cancer in comparison really? to non-Latinas. Absolutely. And Is there a reason rate, why? Well, uh, two of the major culprits are lack of education and lack of screening. Women are not going to the doctors. That's plain wow. and simple. We're too Latinas, busy. We're too busy taking care of our families, and you know times are hard. You know, even for someone who is in a medium, you know, financial household. And a lot of times you save your days to in case your kids get sick. So then you don't want to take off a day to go to the doctor. So various reasons like that. Wow. Right. That, that's amazing. Um, now, in in terms of uh, what you're dealing with here in, in New York, um, Patty, um, are you dealing with the Spanish-speaking demographic as well? Yes. I um I go uh I make presentations, I uh do health fairs and I and I target I target all women cuz I want women to 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 know about this disease that is it could be is almost always preventable. Um but I do target Washington Heights, the South Bronx, and, you know, the Hispanic la, the Hispanic community. Okay. That's awesome. That's definitely awesome. Now, really important, um, I just shared a link on the chat uh, with uh, with our listeners, um, and it's specifically about certain resources that you guys have available. Um, I, I read a story that was really interesting about one of your um, survivors, uh, Navita. Yes. I think her name was, she was a poet. Um, she is a poet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So tell, tell me a little bit about uh, Navita and how you know how you guys met and, you know, where she is today. Navita is actually um, one of our survivor sisters. She's in Tennessee. Uh, she has her own cervical cancer nonprofit, um, and she is of a mixed race, Creole, uh, Cherokee. Uh, and uh, like many of us, she just wanted to give back. Uh, she wanted to make a difference. 
and her way was just telling the women in her local area in Tennessee how to make a difference. And what I love about Navita is she's one of those people that she always wants to partner. Um, you know, there's no separation here because we're so small. I always say we're a small but mighty group. And, you know, it shows that cervical cancer does not discriminate. You have myself, I was single, and I had to get a hysterectomy followed by chemotherapy and radiation at 25. I'll never be able to create life. I'll never know what it's like to have a baby kick inside of me. Patty was married, um, but Navita was divorced with a daughter and grandchildren, but it still affected her life the same way. You know, she still has to get up every day. She has a reminder, her scars, you know, she has where her body has failed her because of her treatment. And, it, it, you know, I cannot express to your listening audience enough that you are never the same once cancer has invaded your body. You're never the same once a cancer with stigma has placed that scarlet letter on you. And so it's not just the physical aspects of cervical cancer. It's all the the emotional devastation that leaves behind. Because I'm 11 years out now, but I'm still the cancer girl. I'm still the girl who had cancer. And even though now I'm engaged and, you know, I have a stepdaughter so I can become a mom, I'm still the girl who had cancer, and my life will never be the same because of it. Okay, so I just want to kind of, like, recap and go to, the, like, the beginning almost and say what are the top three things that young women need to do, like, this week in order to become aware, in order to find out where their status is, and, and to help anybody that they love? Well, number one, if they haven't had a pap test, they need to go and get a pap test. They need to schedule their well woman exam. And if they don't have insurance, don't let that hinder them. Because I was like Patty. I had insurance, but I didn't go to the doctor for three years. Um, I had body image issues. I was an overweight woman. And also, I just didn't think anything was wrong with me. I didn't have any symptoms or anything. So that would be my number one, my 11th commandment, go get your pap. If you're 30 and over, you need to add an HPV test. Uh, if you're too young for the pap and if you fall in the ages of the HPV vaccine, definitely go to your doctor, inquire about it. If you don't know enough about it, it's great to talk to your health care pr- practitioner. We have lots of information on our website for all of these tests and the vaccine at Tamika, T-A-M-I-K-A, and friends.org. We're on Facebook. You can find us at Tamika and Friends, and we're also on Twitter at T and Her Friends. Okay, and Patty, just uh, for the people that are here in New York, because I have a very large uh, uh, listener audience in New York, um, how can they get in touch with you if they want to have any type of seminar or anything like that? Sure, we have a phone number. It's 917-829-TFNY, which is 8369. 917-829-TFNY-8369. Okay, well, thank you so much, ladies, for joining me. I really do appreciate it. I know my listeners appreciate it. Um, we are going to, um, if I get any questions from the, because I, I'm monitoring like three different chat rooms, uh, if we get any questions or anything, I'll be sure to email them to you so that you could uh, kind of uh, guide us in that regard. Um, for anybody that's listening, the website again is TamikaAndFriends.org. That's T M 
T A M I K A A N D Friends dot org. And uh definitely if you can become a sponsor, they have ways that you can actually contribute. They're a five oh one three C so that you will get your tax exemptions as a result of helping them out with this beautiful cause. And um, join us for our walk in New York in September. There you go. Yes, I just wanted to September I just wanted to Go ahead, I'm sorry, September? September 21st. Save the date. Absolutely. And I just want to let you ladies know that if you ever have anything to promote regarding Tamika and Friends, if you, ha- if you have a, um, a commercial, a PSA, anything that you have related to your organization, um, our doors are always open to you. Oh, thank you, you so it. much for doing oh, this. Have- it's important for men to get involved, too, so we thank you. Absolutely. Anything that you need, uh, you could email us at radiocopycoo at gmail.com, and, uh, you know, we will definitely make sure we get the word out with our listener public. Thank you very much, George. Thank you so much. Good night. Good night. So there you have it, mi gente. You have uh, these young ladies who are doing magnificent work across the country, uh, helping women with cervical cancer, uh, providing them resources, having sister sister groups where they get together and they uh, have lively discussions. Um, one of the things that really kind of stuck with me, and I'm going to see if I can pull it up right here, um, is we don't talk just about facts. We talk about feelings. We talk about finances. We provide many links to other resources. Uh, so definitely support Tamika and friends. Um I want to give a really big shout-out to um, some very good friends of ours <laughs> of Capicu, Jesenia Bailey and Jenny Teresa. Um, they have a TV show that they're launching on the Internet. I guess it's a web TV show, and it's called Becoming Ricardo, and it's ex- it's ex- it's hilarious. Um, we just had a fundraiser uh, at the Evil Olive Bar and Lounge in uh, Brooklyn this past Friday, and uh, we got an opportunity to hang out with Jesenia and her cast, including Lisa Lisa, formerly of the Cult Jam, or I guess still of the Cult Jam. She still goes on tour. Um, and we had a great time. And, and we're very excited for them because they actually had a Kickstarter for their uh, TV show to get the production costs and get everything uh, up and running. And they just made their goal a little while ago. So we want to congratulate them on that. Uh, it's a very big accomplishment. Uh, it's very hard to raise money out here for the arts. And, uh, you know, we definitely want to give them a big shout-out. Uh, if you want to know more about Becoming Ricardo, just go to becomingricardo.com. Um, the Kickstarter is still in effect. If you want to help them out, you know, obviously they can use all the help they can get. The more money they get, the more episodes they can give us, and you have to see it. I, I'm not even going to tell you what, it, what it's like. You have to go to becomingricardo.com right now and check it out, all right? Felicidades, muchacha. I also want to take a moment to um, to shout out my Uncle Rudy, who's listening from Florida. I know he's listening. He just hit me up on Twitter. Um, and I just want to say hi to everybody in the chat room. We've got a lot of people in there, but I don't know who everybody is. So if you guys could just give us a quick uh, chat and just let us know who you are so we can say hi to you, we'd really appreciate it. Um, we still have a couple of segments uh, left on the show. Uh, one of the segments that we have uh, is going to be with Robert Carbusia. Uh, from robscoaching.com, and he's going to talk a little bit about investing in real estate. Um, and this uh, whole conversation is based on uh, some reader uh, reader and listener questions from Sofrito for Your Soul, um, and they wanted us to touch on this subject. So uh, we're going to come right back with that. Um, just keep it locked, all right? We'll be right back. Here's some bachata for you.
por mí te desvelaba Cada lágrima en tu corazón Cada boca que besé y me daba tuya Cada historia que te dije que era tú La maldigo hoy mi amor Me arrepiento en mi
abierta, calladito voy a entrar. Te aseguro que tus padres no se van a despertar. Abrazaditos en la cama, bien la vamos a pasar. And I put that song on to introduce our special guest host of the night. La quería despertar porque yo creo que está media dormida. But uh, I want to welcome uh, a very special friend of mine. She's a, a poet, an actress, very prolific. She is the author of Transitions of a New York Cinderella. She's also a professional administrator at Fordham University. She is my friend, my madrina, la quiero mucho, and that is Maria Aponte. ¿Cómo tú estás, Maria? Happy New Year a todo mundo. Que Dios te bendiga. Bendiciones. How are you? Un aplauso. Gracias, gracias. San Cucu, San Cucu. Llegamos, llegamos. Estamos aquí. That's it. We're here. We're here. And uh, thank you so much for inviting me to co-host with you this evening on this wonderful special event on investing in our young women. And I just wanted to say a big, big thank you to Tamika and Patty for giving us that wonderful detailed information about 
um, cervical cancer and getting and going for your checkups and taking care of yourself because that is so important. Absolutely. And uh, there's a special reason why I invited you to the show. Um, a couple of years ago, I mean, I know you for many years, but a couple of years ago we got involved in a project together um, that myself and Papo kind of conceived. We went up to East Harlem Cafe and we got you and a, a host of beautiful women together to have uh, what was called the Latina Empowerment Series. Do you remember that? Of course. That was one of the major highlights of uh, of that year. Yeah, we had um, Mia Roman, and we had uh, Elena Mamorazzi, and we had, um, oh, my mind went blank. We had three artists. Oh, me, hello. <laughs> and we were talking <laughs> yeah, were about, <laughs> yeah, I was there, right, I was hosting it. Um, and we, uh, the, the concept was uh, sharing stories about our our interest and our passions, and how we started in our areas of business with our art, and what we do in terms of being proactive to um, get our work out there. And it was a really interesting night. I think we also raised money that night for the American Heart Association, right? That's right, because we were right. Uh, I think it was around February, and we were right in American Heart Month. Uh, mm-hmm. They had a they had a Latino campaign called Corazones, mm-hmm. um, so we made it we made it part of the American uh, uh, Heart Association's Corazon Month, uh, and there was also a special group there. Uh, what was it, Revolución? Yes, Re- uh, Latina Revolución was there. Uh, they were at that time uh, getting ready to. They were performing uh, the Vagina Monologues in Español for the first time at the New Eureka Poets Cafe. Um, oh, Jenny Rose was our host. Absolutely. Oh, my God. That's Bomba. What it, see? Hello. Jenny Rose was our host. Um, <laughs> Jenny Rose I, is uh, a very yeah, important much part I of coordinated the uh, Yeah, I just coordinated the event. But it was a very magical evening because so many powerful women turned out. It was like Fina Valentin came in. We had uh, Debbie Quinones coming in. Uh, we had... Uh, the I mean the list goes on and on. I'm so glad I have all the pictures of these things because my I can't remember every <laughs> individual, and and we met we met a lot of interesting. It was funny how women gravitated to that whole concept of those two words, Latina empowerment. Absolutely, and one of the best things about it that it was uh it was actually hosted at the East Harlem Cafe, which is a Latina owned business mm-hmm. that is thriving today in in East Harlem, uh, owned mm-hmm. by Michelle Cruz who is has has an amazing story about how she started her cafe and uh and how she's kept it, you know, relevant uh and a cultural staple in, in East Harlem today. So big shout out to Michelle Cruz for doing what she mm-hmm. does. And a big so, shout out for me because I also do my events there under Aponte Gonzalez Productions. So I've hosted my open mics there. Um, I've done my, uh, I've, I've had my book, one of my book signings there, and she carries my book there. So, and from a, a kid coming from El Barrio, that to me is like a double blessing. So, absolutely, love you, Michelle, if you're listening. So, um, with that said, um, you have to be living under a rock if you haven't noticed that uh, on a global scale, uh, every day we keep hearing new stories about um, violence against women. Uh, we keep hearing these horrible, horrible stories abroad about uh, different uh, types of oppression and things of that nature. 
Um, there's an organization that we've had the fortune of working with Rukapiku on several open mics, fundraisers, etc., called WomenWorldwideInitiative.org. Um, the uh, the organization is a fiscally sponsored organization of Sabud International Cultural Association, and it has a special mission to connect, inspire, and educate women and girls on a global scale through mentorship programs, social change projects, and awareness campaigns. TWWI is dedicated to youth development and cultural and economic empowerment of women and girls in low-income communities in New York City and developing countries. Um, the uh, we have tonight we have the uh, the CEO, executive director, founder, and magic woman behind the scene, and uh, she's <laughs> here to share some of this stuff with us. I want to welcome Uraida, and I don't know how to pronounce your last name. I should have asked. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Joyce and Marina. It's a pleasure to be on the air with you all tonight. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you for being here. Thank you. Um, thank you. And one of the things that uh, actually really draws me to your organization, um, obviously it's, it's, a, it's a great group of multicultural women, so this is not a Latina organization at all. This is an organization that's dedicated to women, and that means women from any part of the world. Um, I'm very drawn to your organization because of how you've impacted my community, uh, specifically one of the lowest income uh, communities in New York City, which is East New York. Um, right. So I, I've heard stories, and it's funny because a lot of people don't even know that I know you, um, but I've heard stories about how uh, TWWI has impacted uh, young ladies in East New York. So I want to publicly thank you for, for that. And then I want to obviously bring that to the center stage and talk about a little bit about what you do uh, on a global scale to our listener public. Okay, wonderful. So shall I jump right in? Jump right in. We're here. All right. Um, so, yeah, so George briefly mentioned um, we're a nonprofit-sponsored organization, um, which means our fiscal sponsor has a 501c3, um, which also means that we can receive tax-deductible donations and apply for grants, which is wonderful. Um, we essentially focus on empowering women and girls, um, and we do it in low-income neighborhoods in New York City, um, and we also do it in developing countries. Um, we currently have partnered with NGOs in countries such as Zambia, Kenya, Guinea, and Nepal. Um, we're also working working on something potentially for Colombia as well. Um, and so, and that. I guess that's essentially covered by our social change projects. Um, so we really have three arms in the organization. Our first is our mentorship programs, which currently um, just run in low-income neighborhoods in New York City. Um, but we do have kind of a nationwide vision for that program. Our second arm are social change projects. Um, and you all may know Kimberly and Dino are Kim Possible. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Kim Possible, <laughs> we love <laughs> She's our director of social change projects, so she joined us about six months ago um, and has been phenomenal. Um, for our social change projects, we reach out to NGOs that work with women and girls in developing countries um, in the areas of education and women's entrepreneurship. Um, and we coordinate with them to design high-impact, innovative, and sustainable projects around their greatest need. Um, we truly believe in the sustainable development and power of youth and women. Um, and we tend to 
we try to stick to what works um, by simply asking the communities what they need. Um, communities often aren't asked um, <laughs> what they need, and there's always outside help coming in. And um, in terms of foreign aid, there's billions of dollars floating to these countries, and yet, you know, six years later, we don't see any improvement. And you know, it's a <laughs> it's a huge question why that is. Um, and there's you know, economists have tons of different answers for that. Um, but we actually believe very strongly um, that small action projects can be highly effective. Um, so you might have a small hospital in Zambia that all they really need is malaria nets, and they're getting sent, I don't know, tons of blankets and needles, and really they don't need any of that. Um, so we really go in and reach out to NGOs that either have a reputation with our within our own network or who we know personally um, to find out how we can help on the ground in a more effective um, and high-impact way. And then our third arm is our awareness campaigns. Um, and this is really our advocacy arm. Um, so we participate in events such as um, 16 Days of Activism, um, which was against gender-based violence um, and took place, oh gosh, um, I want to say no, end of November to the beginning of December of last year. Um, and it's 16-day, many organizations around around the world um, take part in this to kind of raise awareness about gender-based violence. Um, so we ran a blog series for 16 days, and we partnered with um, the young professional arm of Amnesty International. Um, we partnered with Everyday Ambassador, and as well as including some of our own partnerships um, who all submitted a blog piece for that series. Um, we also take part in Anti-Street Harassment Week, um, which is actually coming up, and it's related to the topic of violence against women, and that takes place April 7th through 13th. Um, that, that, that's something I wanted to touch on, the, the, uh, the street harassment. What exactly are the activities that your organization does to raise awareness in that regard? So... For this coming year, we don't know yet. <laughs> We're still brainstorming that. Um, but last year was the first year we took part in it um, because there's obviously a very strong connection between street harassment and violence against women. Um, so last year what we really wanted to do was simply focus on the young women in, in our Young Women Rock Mentorship Program, um, which is a program that works in East New York, and we also now work in Brownsville. Um, and... So we wanted to focus that week on them and making sure that they know what street harassment is. I mean, I'm sure they know it because they experience it daily, but really knowing that that has a name um, and that it's not okay. Um, I mean, most women and girls around the world, approximately 80% of them will experience street harassment at some point in their life. Um, I know that myself and my peers, I mean, we... I mean, women and girls experience it every day, essentially, <laughs> especially in New York City. I mean, whether it's, you know, a honk of a car or, you know, a guy pulling you by the arms, to come, you know, to get your attention or whatever it may be. Um, but it is it is a form of, of sexual harassment. And for those listening, that means those guys that think they're cute talking about, mira, mami, nada contigo. Let me, let, me, let me holler at you, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's right, not, right. Not cool. Uraida, can I can I uh, I wanted to ask you a question regarding to your um your global mission with your uh women's initiative, uh worldwide initiative. Uh, 
I was reading, you know, your the information from your website. Uh, okay. What personally for you got you so passionate to get involved to to start this? You know, that's a very good question, and um, I've been asked it several times over the years, and I think slowly and slowly I'm starting to figure it out. Um, I know that might sound strange, but I guess it, it really started when I um, I went to college at NYU. Um, that's when I first moved to New York City. I'm originally from Chicago, um, so I kind of was very face-to-face with all the segregation in Chicago. Um, the violence is tremendous. Um so coming from that community in New York City, I was actually surprisingly somewhat relieved that the violence wasn't as high here, um, which sounds funny too. But I So I started mentoring um, middle school girls in Brooklyn um, when I moved to New York City, and I had informally been mentoring young women in Chicago as well. Um, actually, elders that had been around me would start – pairing me up with younger girls and saying, you know, you need to keep an eye on her and just keep in touch with her and make sure she gets to college and things like that, kind of out of the blue. So I started to form kind of an interest in that. Um, So I followed it up in in New York City, and I was mentoring middle school girls, so I guess ages 12 to 15. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was shocked that the topics um, through this program I, I went through through NYU, the topics included, you know, sexual decision-making and drugs and alcohol and violence against women. And I was like, geez, we're going to be talking to 12-year-olds about this? But apparently I was very sheltered because on the first day I was like, wow, we really do need to be talking about these issues with them. Um, So that's where the interest started. And when I graduated from NYU, um, it meant that I could no longer participate in that program because it was only for students. Um, So I wanted to continue it. Um, and I also couldn't find a job for a year. <laughs> so all those things kind Sounds of... Sounds familiar. Yeah. I work in a department that I have to help students find jobs. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so all the things kind of, you know, the past led me one way, right? Um, mm-hmm. So that's when I started doing it, and I absolutely love it. I mean, I, to be honest, I mean, besides my mother, who I had a very close relationship with, um, excuse me, <coughs> I didn't. I don't really think I had a mentor growing up either. Um, I mean, I got advice about sexual health from my friends, and thank God that my friends were somewhat <laughs> accurately informed. Otherwise, you know, I would have been in big trouble. Um, so I think, I mean, having a mentor is of extreme value. And um, I'm actually an immigrant, so I came here not really knowing about the U.S. college system either. So when I applied to college, I just sat down for 30 minutes, wrote a college essay, and sent it everywhere. And so it was mm. a miracle that I got in anywhere because I didn't have anyone to kind of guide me with that at all. Um, no, right. Where anyway. are you from? Um, I'm half Dutch, half Persian. So I was born okay. in Holland. Awesome. Yep, yep. You just got so, back from Holland, correct? Yeah, I just got back there. I was visiting my family there. Uh, my grandma's getting a little older, so I thought I would you know, build up all my vacation days at work <laughs> and and take a trip out there. Nice. So how many how many girls do you, have you worked with so far and do you have like a do you have like an assessment of what, what any results yet or is it the program since yeah. it's fairly new? Like do you have graduates yet <laughs> that you're training them to become Okay, mentees? so we Yeah. 
So last year we ran our pilot program, um, and we did it for one school semester. Um, and we had 10 girls in the program, and it was fabulous. So the program is a um, a curriculum-based group and a one-on-one mentorship program, which means we meet once a week as a group. Um, so each young woman gets a college age or college graduate mentor that she's paired up with. But we meet once a week as a group to discuss issues such as personal identity and self-esteem, um, future options, sexual health and decision-making, conflict resolution, and the list goes on. Um, but we really like meeting as a group because it allows for that, you know, that powerful dialogue that you mm-hmm. sometimes wouldn't get one-on-one. Um, but they do also have that one-on-one relationship, so they have mentor also themselves um, and that specialized attention. Um, so our pilot program had 10 mentors and 10 mentees. Um, and for our first year... Um, part of me wanted to just, you know, double the numbers um, about for the girls that we had, but I wanted to make sure, you know, we were still developing our program structure and really testing what works and what doesn't work. Um, so we have about 12 girls this year. We're running now for a full academic year, so we're just entering the spring semester with them. Um, so we have 12 mentees and 12 mentors, um, and it's been going great. And the way that we've been evaluating results um, up until now, um, so we'll know more by by the end of the spring semester, but we did it for our pilot program as well. We give them what we call a pre-survey and a post-survey. Um, so the survey includes, you know, the first page is very generic infor- information like how old are you, where were you born, were you born in the States or out of the States. Um, we actually have a lot of immigrant girls um, from Guyana mm. and Jamaica as well. Um, and then, you know, and then it goes on to, you know, who do you live with at at home? Um, And then further on in the survey, it's more to judge what knowledge they have on these issues. So it asks, you know, can you list three types of birth control? And 100% of the girls on the first date cannot. Um, Do you find a a conflict with with the cultural background of the parents as to how much they want their daughters to know about these things or parents cooperative with this because i know that i saw on the website um the the uh the girls do have to get permission from their parents right. to uh to participate so are the parents like you know are they flexible they're are they open to this um so for our pilot program we were actually based in watch high school which is in the thomas jefferson campus on pennsylvania avenue in east new york um and for our pilot program it went very well, and the problems we were getting were from the school. Um, wow. They were worried and wanted to cover their own butts a bit, even though parents had signed off on it. Um, so we had a little bit of friction there, and and so I thought, you know, I don't want to cause any trouble, so we decided to start looking for other places, and I immediately thought of community centers because essentially that's what they're there for, right? Um, so we actually... NYCHA, the New York City Housing Authority, um, was very excited about our program, so they're letting us use their space at Seth Lowe Community Center, which is in between Seth Lowe um, Housing Development. Um, And that's, I guess, on the border of East New York and Brownsville, technically. Um, So now that we're there, we have a lot of independence, Mm -hmm. um, which is fantastic, and we have a room that has about six computers in it with Internet access, so that's really great. And we haven't received any you know, any difficulty with parents. I mean, because I do 
they do read the curriculum um, before they sign up for it. Um, so, yeah, so luckily we haven't had any complaints. This year we also have quite a few Muslim girls, um, and one of our girls is Turkish, and she her parents... Her parents are actually not as strict, but she's in a um, an all-Muslim, I guess, girls' school right. um, that's overnight. So that's where the, the problems have been coming in. Okay. Um, so they kind of wonder, you know, after school, where is she, even though her parents have signed off on this program. so. Mm-hmm. Um, but at first we, we weren't even aware of this situation. So she had, you know, been rebelling a bit <laughs> and oh, hadn't okay. mentioned it. Um but no, but luckily we haven't um, received, you know, any difficulty from parents. Um, mentors do make a connection with them um, when when the school year starts. So they, you know, go out of their way either to set up, you know, a coffee date with the parents where they can meet face-to-face or give them a call at least um, to introduce themselves and exchange contact information. Um, so we try to keep the communication very open um, in that regard as well. Nice, nice, very nice. Absolutely. And I have a question, Odaida. Obviously, as a founder of an organization, in your mind, there's a certain idea or concept of what success looks like. What what right. what would you consider success with one of the young ladies? Let's talk about the Turkish lady for uh, the, the the young lady that's Turkish, for example. Um. So success more on an individual basis versus a programmatic basis, right? Exactly. Okay. Um. Well, yeah, it would be a young woman that makes informed decisions. Um, So she makes sure that she has all the accurate information before making a decision, whether it's a decision about, I don't know, I'm thinking about high school girls, a decision about when to have sex or a decision about which college to go to or a decision about whether to apply to college or not, um, whether to engage in a conflict or not, if a conflict is present. Um, So young women that think before they act. But also young women that are that have self esteem um that believe in themselves and um with our girls, that's one thing that's very apparent from day one we start talking about self esteem um there's definitely a lack of self love um which is very shocking um and painful to see at times um but that's something that we we very much build with them um and that's what i mean i when I think of Young Women Rock, the program, I think of that it provides them a safe place. Um, it gets them off the street. It's a place where they don't need to be walking by the guys that are standing on the corner. Um, but also it provides them a group of amazing young women, um, both their age and a little older, who truly believe in them. Um, and that's something that you don't really you don't get anywhere else. I mean, in high school, your female friends often don't believe in you either, <laughs> and they're often the source of the problem. So, and and um, I could we, speak on behalf of working in a university where the bulk of what I do is working with college-age students. Right. Um, a lot of them, if they are not uh, emotionally prepared, all of that that they didn't get in the middle school and high school, it it follows them to it college, them. Yeah, and it affects definitely. them, especially if they're first generation low income students on their and they're not exposed to mentorship mentorship what happens in uh in 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 particularly with administrators like me that our role is counseling 
we tend to have to fill in the gaps in those areas so that we can see them complete their degree. Right, right. Yeah, so for me it's wonderful to hear that there's a process going on now because it prepares them and it preps them. And I and I want to talk about, you know, that group of students that don't have the special programs that need services like you're offering because the ones that get into the academic programs because of the the GPAs and the scholarship money, they're right. kind of they get those special added services. But then you have our population that needs that added help. So that way, when right. when when we get them on our end, they're they have some kind of foundation because it right. can really be a cultural shock when they have not been exposed to anything and then they're thrown in a system where they're expected to be able to respond and be able to make decisions and act like an adult and they're not ready to do that. Because right. that's my ag- advocacy. I am I am a former HEOP counselor, TRIO program, oh, and I've been in higher ed for more years than I want to say. <laughs> but my heart, my heart is with making sure that my kids from the South Bronx, from Brooklyn, from Queens that don't have those opportunities can get through those doors and they finish. And I just got nominated as the Chancleta counselor at Fordham, but that's another story for another night. But they listen. That's, <laughs> that's awesome. All I got. So, Ulaida. Um, before we yes. go into how people could support you directly and some of the upcoming events that you have, the other question I have is, uh, are you looking towards five years from now, and is there going to be something where these mentees that you have right now could eventually become mentors? Are you looking into recycling uh, so they could yes. share their experiences as mentors? Yeah, so our, I mean, all the programs that we do, we very much focus on sustainability, um, and we want this program to be able to serve them essentially for their life, right? Um, so the girls that we have now, um, we we take in ninth through 12th graders. Um, we ask a commitment from them that they stay with Young Women Rock um, for the duration of their high school years, um, and so far, we haven't had any dropouts, so that's a good start. That's a great start. <laughs> but once start. they graduate high school, we ask them to come back as mentors. Awesome. I have a um, caller from the I have a caller from the nine one seven area code. Caller, you're on Radio Copy Cool. Yes, it's the maestro. <laughs> Hi, Mike. Hey, Jamie. How are you, Papi? God bless everyone. Belated Happy Three Kings Day. Um, I'm joining late in the show, so I missed uh, a lot of things. I had technical difficulties on my end. But from what I've heard so far, it's been fantastic. And I think the fact that you guys are bringing such subject matter onto the air and sharing with the community is a huge step in the right direction because there's a huge gap between the people that are providing such information and people trying to attain it because it's really not available in a lot of places. And it's a great thing, because as a step-parent with lots of experience with such issues, I can tell you that mentorship makes a huge difference in the achievement for students, even the brilliant students, between those who are brilliant and don't have mentors and those who have mentors, the gap of success-wise is tremendous because um, 
my stepdaughter actually got her into a program which you may be familiar with called Teak, and uh, mm-hmm. they, they take yeah they take their kids in uh, sophomore year, and it's a four year commitment. Unfortunately, it's a limited amount to maybe like twenty five, thirty five kids at a time, which is what's difficult. But uh, you know they have the choices of uh, sponsorship, staying home, or boarding school, which is another experience that kids should consider and the options there too also. Some of these programs, which I hope will also eventually hit into your that it's not already being done, expand into the yards and, you know, have opportunities to see shows on Broadway and stuff like that. You know, again, you know, the money and arts these days is tough. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm glad to hear that you guys are having such success and, uh, I think you're also on the right track for a big move that I think should be a model for other programs, including TEAT, because your talk about recycling the benefits of the education and mentorship among grads would be fantastic because I think it should be a requirement. I think all grads, if you receive the services, grants, and other benefits of such programs, then you should be required to at least give a year or two years of mentorship to someone else and pay it forward. And that, you know, that would be a great step in the right direction. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, um, Uraida. Yes. Before we go, uh, I really want to touch on one thing. Obviously, there, there are not a whole lot of organizations out there that provide these services, and there's always going to be a disproportionate amount of people who don't have services available to them. So as somebody who works in this field and everything, how can we as a village, as Latinos, as as people of color, people who are in a community, in disenfranchised communities, what can we do individually to create the same type of environment in our own communities uh, without without the structure of an organization? Like what are some of the tips that you would give us on how we can help bring these young ladies up to the level that you're trying to do through the organization? Uh and I, and I know that's loaded. I know, I, I know, I know that's loaded. I know it's loaded. How do you question. save the world, Arida? How do you just? How do you do it? Give me, give me yeah. one line. How, how do you save the world, Arida? You have to know. You're part of the community worldwide organization. Um, I think, I mean, there's there's a lot of components. Um, I mean, part of the difficulties that we deal with in the organization is, of course, we're an after-school program. So we're not there all day, every day, you know, every day of the week. That takes place in the home and that takes place at school. Um, So a lot of it is, you know, if you want to see change, you have to look at yourself. Um, So it's, you know, it's when you have a niece or a nephew that is struggling with their homework. It's sitting down with them an extra hour to to help them out. Or even for you, if you don't know it even, um, to to reach out because there's so many of free services in New York City. Um, it's all a matter of finding them. And thank God for the Internet, right? Because, I mean, I don't know how anyone did it before to find these services. But they are there. Um, and... They are available, and and it's also a matter of men and women coming together. Um, in low-income communities especially, I mean, poverty does a lot of crazy things, um, but it also makes people act in strange ways sometimes. Um, and so there's tons of 
violence in these communities and especially violence against women, that women need to be respected. And a lot of that also comes with, you know, what we mentioned earlier about street harassment. Men can have a role in that. I mean, they do have a role in it because they're perpetuating it half the time. Um, But even when it's, you know, you, you see a guy shouting at this girl who's only 15 and she may look 20, but that's irrelevant, right? Um, but he's shouting her from across the street, and you can see she's uncomfortable. Even if you go and you know stop her and ask her for directions or something to kind of take the attention away from her, so she doesn't feel like she's dealing with it alone, or whether it's you know going up to the guy and saying, "Hey, brother, like what's what's going on?" Or I don't know. You know, there's there's ways to interact with that, and I know that men don't often like to get in the way of that because I don't know, especially if your boys are doing, it, you don't want to look uncool and be like, "Hey, you know, cut it out." Um, and, yep, but I'm those sorry. things make a difference. I I, yeah, I just point. wanted to say what, just one one quick thing. I know that this is a woman's theme based program, but also there has to be mentoring programs for young men because oh, no, it's funny you they're say not that. yeah they're not fast? gonna yeah they're not gonna know how to act if an exactly. elder man is not showing them what they should and shouldn't be doing. So this is sort of like, I mean, I can go back to my generation, and that's 40-plus years ago. The guys were always on the corner harassing women. But it would always be an elder that would say, you know, Papo, you know, you don't do that. You know, that's not the way you talk to a lady. So there has to be be mentoring also for, for young men so that they have a way of learning how to how to how to behave and what's the appropriate thing to be saying and not saying or Definitely. doing and and, and also right that, it's it's funny that you say that because I've had numerous times not from a good place but I've had people come and ask me you know you're only doing this stuff for women why have why don't you have a program for men and I was like well it would be nice for me to do that but I don't know how much <laughs> you know how much response I will get from that. It's the men that needs to really do that um, and take ownership of that, and they're the ones that are going to be most effective with young men. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, so um, we're kind of uh, running short on time. Um, Uraida, please let us know the website, the phone number. How can people get in touch with you? How can they support you? Okay. I'm glad you asked me because this is the one thing I always forget, <laughs> forget to mention. I forget to tell people how to contact me. Um, our website is women, plural with an E, womenworldwideinitiative.org. Um, you can find us on Twitter. Our Twitter name is women underscore worldwide. And what else? Um, you can shoot us an email at info at womenworldwideinitiative.org. Um, my, our telephone number is 347 Five two seven zero nine six seven. One more time. That's three four seven five two seven zero nine six seven. And please, if you know any women that would like to be mentors and can make the trip out to East New York and Brownsville once a week, um, please do reach out to us. If you know any young women between between the ages of 14 and 18 that might benefit from Young Women Rock, also please reach out to us. We have the capacity to take them in, and we'd love to have them. Um, I want to also give one plug. We have an event coming up um, on the 14th of February 
on Valentine's Day, but it's hopefully before all your festivities start. It's from 5 to 7 at the New York Poets Cafe. Um, it's an event for One Billion Rising. And if you haven't heard, One Billion Rising is Eve Ensler, who is the playwright for the Vagina Monologue. She created this global movement, and it's now their 15th anniversary. And it's a call to rise, rise up and end violence against women and girls. Um, so this year for One Billion Rising, we're having an event at the New Recon. Um, we're having incredible poets. Um, let me see if I remember all their names. Give me one second. Um, I'm all over the place. Um, True, who you all know and love dearly. True will be performing. We have Mimi Ali, who's an incredible um, 15-year-old artist. Um, we have some young artists and leaders from Urban Word who will be performing. We have Ariel John, who's a spoken word artist. She'll also be performing. Johnny Rose will also be performing. Um, so it's going to be a wonderful, wonderful night. Um, and I ask you all to come out, invite your friends, your neighbors. This is a chance for the community to really speak out against violence. Um, and, you know, we encourage both men and women to come. It's going to be a good time. If you haven't been to the New Recon, this is your time to do it. Um, and that event's on Facebook as well. So, you know, you type in the right things. You type in One Billion Rising and it will come up. All right, awesome. Thank you so much, Uraida. I want to thank Jaime for his comments. Uh, it's always appreciated. Ese uno de los, de los dons de Capicu. Uh, we definitely <laughs> appreciate him. We we thank God for Jaime because, you know, he's been going through a very rough time with his health, and, and thank God that he's that he's doing better. He just got back from a trip from Vieques. Hopefully he had a really good time. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I'm getting a little feedback from his line, so I can't say goodbye to him. Uh, but uh, thank you so much, Rodaida. We'll talk to you soon. We will definitely promote the links throughout the Copy Cool community. Uh, we'll make sure that we support you on Valentine's Day to to help you uh, get the support that you need for One Billion Rising. Thank you so much. Wonderful. There you have it, Thank you, you Rodaida. Buenas noches. Ciao. 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 Ciao, Cito. So there you have it. So we're going to go to a quick break, really quick break, like really quick. Um, I feel like some old school house. What do you think? Yeah, why not? All right. Are you going to stay with me, Maria? Stay with me to the end. Okay. I miss you. <laughs> All right. All right, here we go. You, you listen to the Copy Goose Show. We're coming back with Rob Carbusia from robscoaching.com. He's going to give us some tips on investing in real estate in today's economy. Uh, we'll get. We'll be right back. All right? All right. Here we go. And the music is not starting. Ah, yeah.
crap, this is worse than that time I dated a Puerto Rican girl that was into spoken word. Is, is this, this thing, thing on? on? <clears throat> I don't know who sent us those really, really bad Family Guy impressions. Anyway, mi gente, this is George Torres. You're listening to the Copy Cool Show. Um, I'm on line live with uh, from New York City. Uh, with my good friend, co-host, Maria Ponte. Maria? Hola. You're back? Yes. With me in the last segment. Yes. So, so we had a very interesting evening. We had a little bit of poetry. We talked about cervical cancer. Um, we talked about investing in our young, well, in our young women in our community. And we mm-hmm. talked about some of the social issues that we've been having uh, and some of the organizations that are doing something about it, specifically in the Brooklyn area. Um, and globally as well. Um, so now we're going to talk about something a little bit different because, you know, obviously the new year, with the new year comes new people's resolutions, people are trying to do different things, they're trying to kind of, you know, change their life around. And one of the big things that people are really looking towards right now because the market's kind of funny is home ownership. You know, real estate is, uh, you know, people are wondering if it's a good time to buy, is it a good time to sell, like what's going on with it and everything. So we had a listener that actually called in and wanted to touch on this because she's somebody who we really care about, and I'm not going to mention her name because she asked uh, for us not to mention her name, Uh, but she is very interested in in finding out if this is a good time for her to buy real estate. So I invited a really good friend of mine uh, who is from a realty executive. His name is Robert Carbusia, and I want to welcome him to the Capicu Show. Correcto, ¿cómo estamos? Estamos bien, compadre. Estamos bien. So, so Robert, um, as, you, as you already know, and I know you've been a listener for a while, um, we, we do this show, and, and it's really based off of listener feedback, pe- things people want to know. Um, there's not very, very many vehicles out there for us to have this type of close-knit relationship on a radio pers- from a radio perspective anyway. Um, so, so we decided to invite you on because we have one young lady who is a medical professional, uh, she okay. works uh, based out of Queens. Um, I know you work in Queens, and which is why another reason why I brought you on. Um, she's interested uh, in buying her first home, and she's not sure whether she wants a condo or, or a full-blown house and everything. So I wanted to kind of go into, uh, obviously, we already know what the economy's been like lately, so we want to first kind of frame that right now. Is it a good time for people to buy or sell real estate? Uh, you know what, that's a really really good question and uh, the number of times I get that question every day from people uh, it's unbelievable and uh, the simplest answer when it comes to is it a good time to buy or sell real estate the reality is is that when you're ready to buy or you're ready to sell real estate is actually a good time and uh, as even though it didn't give you a specific answer but uh, one of the reasons being is because you have one side of the coin where, on the buyer's perspective, the interest rates are so low, uh, they're close to 3%, and the prices of uh, homes have dropped close to anywhere between 30 to 40% in the last six to seven years, depending on the neighborhood. So for a buyer, hey, look, this is a great time to buy. But then if you're an, uh, an investor, this is the time for you to hold on to your property and use it as a rental income uh, so this way you can earn that stream of income. So it, it all depends on what your situation is. But if there's families out there, even for um, the person who's a medical professional, the the time to purchase is it's really when she's ready, he or she is ready to make that purchase. 
Okay, so from a buyer perspective, once you decide that you are ready and that you're you're thinking about doing it, what is your first step in terms of like pursuing home ownership? Okay, uh, one of the first things you want to do is you want to definitely start off with getting yourself pre-qualified for a mortgage. And you can do that by going to your local lender, whether it's a Chase or Wells Fargo. Uh, if you have a credit union that you're a part of, like if you work for a union and you guys have a municipal credit union, start there. Because what they'll do is they'll ask you specific questions based on your credit history and based on your current income and expenses that will determine what your monthly, uh, your monthly mortgage payment would be. And then from there... You, you always have to start off and tell the bank, listen, this is what I am comfortable paying per month because uh, you want to be clear on that. You need to know if you can pay whether it's $1,200, $1,500, 2000 a month, 3000 whatever your number is per month that you're comfortable with. Start there first and let the bank know that's where you can make your monthly payments on time and you feel comfortable with that number. And then they'll work the numbers to let you know this is the loan amount that we can get you. So that's the pl- first place for you to start. Actually, uh, you know what? I have a call uh, from somebody from the 917 area code. You're on the Copy Goo Show. Hi. Hi. Hi, how are you? Fine, and yourself? Welcome to the Copy Goo Show. We're on with Robert Carbusia from Executive, uh, Realty Executives. Do you have a question, friend? Yes. I was wondering about credit scores. I was wondering what's a good credit score range in order to get the best possible loan. Okay, great question. In terms of credit score ranges, it all depends on the lender that you're working with. When you work with uh, some of the major lenders like a Citibank, a Chase, a Bank of America, Wells Fargo, uh, they tend to lean more towards giving the better rates to anyone that has either a 700, a 650 to 700 and above credit score. Now, many times there are private bankers out there that do give loans to folks who may have closer to a a 550 to a 600 credit score. Uh, Ultimately, what ends up happening is, depending on your credit score, that's really what's going to affect your rate and down payment. So if you do have a a credit score that's between 500 and 600, my encouragement to you would be is to focus on getting those debts paid off and you can always do a rapid rescore on uh, on that credit report so that this way you can get your score boosted up. I always refer people to myfico.com, which is M-Y-F-I-C-O.com, and they have a Susie Orman package there where if you purchase that, you'll be able to um, get your credit score, and it will also give you some tips and help you write letters so that this way you can be able to dispute any credit report items that are that are bad. So I, I always recommend folks to do that first. And I'm now, getting a comment. There's a, there's, a, there's a lot of agencies out there that claim that they can fix that for you. Do you suggest that? Well, I mean, the, I, I do know of agencies that are reputable that can be able to uh, fix your credit score. They can eliminate line items, and basically what they do is they would negotiate with those creditors and once they negotiate with the creditors, you would you would probably settle with them. Like for example, if you owed a thousand dollars on an AT&T bill, uh, or on a let's say a, a American Express credit card, so they'll negotiate a settlement with them. You give them three or four hundred dollars, and from there they work on eliminating that line item from the credit report. 
so and and you and you can have your score uh res- your your credit score rescored pretty much within about 2 weeks and your score will go up so there are companies that do that um you can always shoot me an email and I can refer you to a couple of companies to do that but also the the banks a lot of the lenders have relationships with company that can they can recommend to you as well either way is fine oh that would awesome. be great can i have that yeah, email sure. Uh, my email is robscoaching, R-O-B-S coaching, at gmail.com. Thank you. Sure. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for your questions. Thanks. And good, good luck. Night. Good luck, because uh, you need it. Uh, you know, okay, it's, it's such a big decision. <laughs> I'm just, no, I'm just saying, like, you know. You know, he doesn't even know my score. He's like, yeah, you need it. You know what? <laughs> Send me thing. Oh, no. That's not what I was saying. What I'm saying uh-huh. is that it's, it's a big decision that needs to be made. As uh-huh. That's not what anyway. you said. All right. Good night. <laughs> Much love to you. <laughs> Thanks. So, um, so well, once you decide what you could spend on a uh, on a house, and you and you know, obviously, you connect with a realtor. Well, what are some of the next steps that you have to take in in finding your dream home? Well, basically, I mean, once you have an idea in terms of how much you can afford uh, to purchase a home for, I always suggest the buyers that I work with is to do some searching online with the price. Like, let's say, for example, the bank says uh, to the to the uh, the young lady that's uh, a medical professional, "Hey, look, this is how much you qualify for three hundred thousand dollars." So you figure, let's base it on priorities. If you have children, you want to look at school districts. Uh, if you don't have any children and you're pretty much a single or you're just married and you and your spouse, then based on that $300 price, $300,000 price, you can do some searches on Realtor.com, and it'll give you an idea of what your $300,000 can purchase. So that this way you do a lot of that online search ahead of time. And then after that, I really recommend people to just spend the weekends uh, going around the neighborhoods that you really may want to live in based on that price range. So this way you get a chance to see both sides of the coin. You can see, okay, I, I see what my $300,000 can get me, but let me see what the area is like. Is there a place for me to go shopping? Is there parking in the area? And so on and so forth. So this way you feel comfortable with the neighborhood. So I, now, I, I definitely – go ahead. I'm sorry. One of the questions I have is like, what are the what are the biggest considerations uh, for for people in in terms of location? Like, what are the things that people talk about the most? Well, when it school comes to lo- is one, you know, obviously, but yeah, absolutely. Uh, school district is number one. That that's usually at the top of the list for folks that have small children and uh, even people that are starting to have children and uh, they're starting their family. School district is number one. And number two is has actually been how close is it to public transportation because since we live out here in the city once you start getting further out into the suburbs depending on the area that you live in public transportation makes a difference especially if you work in manhattan so transportation is the next thing uh then after that they start looking at taxes what are the taxes and um after the taxes pretty much is there's a lot more room for flexibility at that point but when it comes to families purchasing a home, the school district is important. Uh, again, if you're single and you're looking to begin your investment, then usually the number one question is how close is it to where I work? And uh, and then from there, it pretty much 
balances itself out because if you move into a good school district, you're pretty much going to be, for the most part, in a neighborhood where it's going to retain its value within the next 10 to 15 years. So it's a really good move when you get, when you pick it on school district. Okay. All right. So now let's, let's, let's walk through the process. And, Maria, you could definitely understand this part. So you, you found the right location. You got your money. The bank is ready for you. You're all ready to go. Talk to me about the negotiating process. Okay, great. So now that you're pretty much ready to make that move and purchase that property that you, you've seen and you like, right? You've actually seen a property that you enjoy? Yeah. That you want to be a part of, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, so what you want to do is uh, the, the realtor that you're working with, you can submit your offer through the realtor. And even though this may sound a little old-fashioned, I always recommend that you put down a good faith deposit. You know, in so many oh, cases. they still want that. Yeah, they still want that. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's one of those, it's like the 180-degree rule that if nobody's doing it and then you do it, you actually stick out above everyone else. And these days, a lot of people are just not doing a good faith deposit. They're just kind of submitting offers arbitrarily. Mm-hmm. But uh, when you do submit a good faith deposit, it actually does put you above board in the mindset of the seller because they're like, wow, these guys are, you know, they're old-fashioned and they're pretty authentic in what they're doing, which sets you apart from the other buyers but that are Robert, out there. Robert, I, I just have a, a question. Um, Go for it. What happens if you 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 make a good offer, but then another buyer gives a higher bid? And the re- how does the good offer guarantee that the that the realtor is gonna um, still consider you first if what you offer is lower than what another person may bid? Does right. that question yeah. make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. It's pretty much, uh, I see that you're going to notice that in neighborhoods where the prices or there's a big demand. If you know that you're going to purchase in a neighborhood where the demand is pretty high, then you want to be aware of what prices of properties are going for. Oh, and okay. I see this Yeah, I see this a lot where... I'll go into a neighborhood, let's say I'm I'm just going to give Bayside as an example for Queens and Bayside. The average home is going anywhere between let's say 550 to $650,000 for a three bedroom house. Now, if we go ahead and we see a house that's listed at $600,000 and you know that look, there's hardly any house listed at $600,000, then you don't want to come in at 550. You know, you want to. Mm-hmm. If you want the house, then be willing to pay for it because ultimately, what ends up happening, you can never really pay too much for a property these days. And let me explain why. Because banks are so strict on doing appraisals on properties that if you were to offer even slightly above what market value can sustain, the bank will reject the offer with the appraisal that the bank does. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. okay. So in right. other words, whatever the bank appraises the property for, that's really what the value of it is. Exactly. So Okay. So you're you're really protected these days. Now, hey, a few years ago, back in 2006 and before, in 2007 and before, oh, it was crazy. Because the the appraiser would just inflate the appraisal and pretty much you can get the house even though you paid $50,000 more than what anybody else was willing to pay for it. Mhm. Wow. 
that's incredible. So in this, this is a little, this is a, a little bit off the real estate, but it has to do with the housing market. Do you think, um, with the um, banking regulations that are gonna that are taking place, particularly today, uh, it was announced that Bank of America was has to pay back. I think it's six three point three billion dollars to homeowners that had their um, houses taken as foreclosure. Now they're getting some money back. Do you think that the market will move, that it will become a seller's market? Because I know it's a buyer's market, but will it become a seller's market in another, let's say, year or so? You're talking about the uh, the eight point five billion dollar yeah. deal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm all, oh, I'm way <laughs> off of you there. Okay. <laughs> what happens when you're poor and you live in the Bronx? You can't comprehend those zeros. Uh, hey, that's all right. That's all right. <laughs> well, you know what? Here's here's a couple of things that you're going to look at when it comes to buyers market, sellers market, and and I love the fact that you asked that question because everyone should understand that the way buyers market and sellers market is determined is by what's happening in that neighborhood, okay? There mm-hmm. are certain neighborhoods that the demand is higher than other neighborhoods, and what happens is that's really a quote-unquote seller's market for that area. A good example is Astoria, Queens. Astoria, really? Queens, yeah, Astoria, Queens actually went up 43% since last year, year-to-date. Wow. 40 3%, the property values went up year-to-date. So when you look at that, the, the news and the media tells you, wow, it's still a buyer's market, it's still this kind of market, it's a depressed market, and so on and so forth. Well, you got to really look at the individual neighborhoods. Astoria, you might as well say it's a seller's market because sellers are, are, had just made 43% more money this year versus last year. Well, and you know what, Rob, on that, on that topic, um, I just got a text uh on my G Talk from one of my friends that I usually do Google Hangouts with, um, he basically said, uh, "So basically, what you're saying is you don't determine the price of the home; the market does." Exactly. Okay. So I have another question uh, from Jeff, and Jeff is an actual. He's in Ohio, in Boise. Bo- I'm sorry, Boise, Idaho. Boise, Idaho. And he, all right. Boise, Idaho, very far away from us, but um, he wants to ask a question about uh, in terms of upgrades. He wants to know what the priority list for upgrades are when you're looking at buying a home. Well, basically, um, when you're looking to purchase a home, the biggest ticket items would be kitchen and baths. So mm-hmm. if you're looking to buy a home, and let's, let's, let's be honest here, folks, guys, the lady makes the choices in terms of the home that gets purchased, okay? <laughs> let's just put it out there. Let's let's stop hiding. The 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 only thing out of out of all the the clients that I've worked with, I always work with a woman. And that's just it. And her main priority is is the kitchen somewhere that I can work in where I can cook, take care of the family, where I'm going to be comfortable, I have enough space for everything that I need. And then the second part is nobody likes an ugly bathroom. Nobody here, here. Because the, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and, and for the guys, you know, for us, the main important thing is really, uh, does it have a garage and does it have a basement? Because we're go. more on the, the flat screen TV and we just want the man cave. But when it comes for women, you know, their I'm priority sorry, is the that kitchen space. That's right, babe. That's right. <laughs> That's what you need. 
So I have. So those are the two major upgrades that I would look at if you're selling a home, and even if you're buying a home, you want to look to make sure that those two items are in very good condition. What about um, landscaping outside? Like if if the property comes, don't they also recommend that you should kind of spruce up the front and the uh, walkways and things like that? Yeah, I mean if you're selling, if you're selling. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, okay. if you're selling the property, you definitely want to put your best foot forward. Okay, so I have a question from Lewis from Riverdale, and his question is um, he feels like his area is in the declining market. Um, okay. He doesn't really have money for upgrades, and he's wondering how he could really uh, try to get the most he can for his home, uh, considering that people are lowballing him these days. Okay, well, here's a, that's, that's really awesome. Uh, you said Lewis, right? Yeah, Lewis from R- Riverdale, New York. Lewis from Riverdale. Well, basically, one of the things that you could do to get the most amount of money for your home, okay, and this may sound a little bit unorthodox, and it's something that most sellers do not want to hear. However, it's it's what really works, okay? What you want to do is if your house needs a lot of work, okay, and that means the kitchen and the bathroom needs work, even if you invest in getting a brand-new kitchen and a brand-new bathroom, if your market, your neighborhood is declining, it's not worth investing the money into it because the person that purchases the property, they're going to go ahead and put whatever money into it and get whatever kitchen they want and whatever bathroom they want. So it's really not worth the investment. It's not going to equate to to apples to apples. So if I spend $50,000 on a kitchen and bathroom renovation, it doesn't mean that my price of my home is going to be $50,000 more. So you got to really be careful with that. But you could always do things to touch up your home, make it look nice, like removing carpets, uh, give it a fresh coat of paint. If you have if you have the money to improve the siding and the roof, that always helps out. Uh, but in a declining market, your best bet is to price it to sell. And how do you determine that? Okay, this is the number one rule. And if you do this, you will, as a buyer, know if you're paying too much for a property, and as a seller, know if you've priced the property to sell in the right market value. What you do is within the first two to three weeks of having your home on the market, if you have no showings and no offers, then you are about 7 to 10% above market value. Really? Now, within uh huh, and within the first two to three weeks, if you have at least ten showings, but you have no offers, then you are about five to seven percent above market value. So very this is very very important because what happens is so many sellers they end up chasing the market and they never get their homes sold because they don't price it right. And the way this works, if you do price your house, let's say, quote-unquote, too low, then the next logical thing will be a bidding war. And it's easier to negotiate people up than it is the other way around. Hmm. Okay. That's hmm. interesting. Wow, I'm learning a lot Very here. Very knowledgeable stuff <laughs> I'm gonna, here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need to know this stuff soon. Um, somebody... Uh, Invest more into buying points, but or put in down payment. I'm not sure what that means. I'm sorry, Jaime. I'll rephrase that so I could uh, so I could ask the question. So, 
Now, a lot of people have questions about hiring realtors. So can you talk a little bit about what the average person should do to make sure that the realtor that they have is actually the right person for them? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I think I think number one is understanding that realtors work in two levels and two capacities, okay? The realtor, by default, works for the seller because the seller compensates the realtor. So that means that even as a buyer, as soon as you meet that realtor, no matter how warm and fuzzy you might feel and no matter how great they might be, <laughs> their responsibility is to get the seller the most amount of money. Okay? And that's called a seller's agent. So they work really, I mean, in, in a sense, they're working against you as a buyer. And then you have a buyer's agent, which is not really practiced too much in the state of New York, or actually in New York City, but it is popular outside of New York and outside of the state of New York. A lot of buyer brokers do this. Uh, the buyer's agent works and represents the buyer exclusively where he or she can give you advice. They can give you comparables on the property. They can tell you if you're paying too much or too little for the property. They can really advise you as your representative. However, at the end of the transaction, you're responsible to make sure that buyer broker gets paid. Now, the details of that you discuss with the buyer broker, but just understand that, that, that one differentiation. And usually they explain that to you when you're working with a realtor. A good realtor would explain that to you. It's called agency law. Now, in terms of what would be a good realtor, I would recommend that you work with somebody that's referred to you, to be honest, because everybody has their own specialty. Uh, you know, I, I primarily work in Queens and Nassau County, but I list and sell in, in the Bronx and in Brooklyn. So there are certain things that I know about one neighborhood that I don't know about another. However, as long as I have the tools to pull the right comparables, then we can pretty much sell anywhere. All right, awesome. Hmm. Hold up. Re really quick, I have a caller from the 917 area call. Caller? Go for it. Caller from the 917, you're on the Capicu Show with Rob Carbusier, George Torres, and Maria Ponte. Uh, did that me? That's you again. Oh, Dímelo. cool. Listen, my my question was uh, if you have money, like more than enough for the basic down payment, should you invest it into the down payment and just put a larger down payment? Or should you just put a basic down payment and then invest the rest of the extra cash you have on hand into buying points on the loan? Okay, well, that's a phenomenal question. If you have enough money for the down payment, then just put enough money for the down payment. Don't dump all your money into the property that you're purchasing. And there's a number of reasons why. Number one, you want to have as much money liquid as possible. That's the first thing. Number two, the market is still kind of going up and down depending on the neighborhood, and we still have new laws rolled out, things like that. So you want to just pretty much put down the minimum to where your monthly payments can be affordable. That's the second part. And then the third part you mentioned, uh, should you use it to buy down points? Buying down points is really good when you're going to stay in the house longer than seven years. But if you intend on pretty much – buying down points and then three years from now you're going to refinance or four years from now you're just going to go ahead and sell the property and go somewhere else, then truthfully, truthfully you're not getting your dollar for dollar in value when you buy down points. Cool. Okay. Awesome. Very, very, very good point. Thank you. 
Sure. Thank you so much, Jaime. All right, All right so um, so we're just going to wrap it up here. Um, Rob, for anybody who's interested in talking to you a little bit further about uh, about what you do and uh, and how they can get the right person in their corner to do uh, to either buy or sell, how can they get in touch with you? You can uh, shoot me an email at robscoaching, R-O-B-S coaching, at gmail.com. And I'll be more than happy to answer whatever questions anyone has. Uh, you know, I'm I'm here for you guys. Absolutely. Now, uh, one quick question that came in: um, people wanted to know about, uh, I guess, either buying or selling short sales and real estate-owned properties. Okay. Well, just in a nutshell, to keep it simple, when you're looking to purchase a short sale, many times just just be prepared. To, to wait a while because it all depends on who's negotiating the short sale on the property uh, when you're looking to purchase one. Um, short sales do take a while because it all depends on the bank that's uh, doing the negotiation or the bank that you're negotiating with, and also it depends on who is doing the negotiation. So many times if, if there's a realtor negotiating with the bank the short sale, they may not be very knowledgeable, so the transaction can take a long time. When I say a long time, it could take anywhere between six to eight months before you close. Um, an REO property, which means real estate-owned property, that means that uh, the bank, the, the property went to the auction, and the bank had to buy it back because the uh, they couldn't get enough money at the auction. So now the bank is trying to get rid of that property. Those types of properties, I highly suggest if you do see a sign and it's an REO property, just work directly with the listing agent because so many listing agents, they can sell those properties in a heartbeat because they can get their own buyers. And because of the way the business works, uh, so many times other agents get pushed out of those transactions. So I would really recommend that. Just go and work directly with the listing agent on an REO property uh, if you really want that property and you have a better chance of getting it. And I have one last question, and I know it's the question that's burning in Maria's mind right now. Maria, you're with me, right? I'm is here. Just to, just to tie it up with the whole concept, because tonight we've been talking a lot about women empowerment. Are there any special programs for women looking to be first-time homeowners? Wow, that's, that a, that's, that's a really good question. Uh, actually, I'm not aware of any programs for women, but uh, what I can suggest is, uh, NHS, which is Neighborhood Housing Services, they're a really good uh, community organization. I believe I believe they're non for profit. They, they're from the they're from the state. But if you talk to your local NHS, they can be able to direct you on what government programs are out there. They're similar to a NACA. NA, I think NACA is N A C C A or N A C A. But uh, I would definitely start with your Neighborhood Housing Services, NHS. And if you go to their website, just Google NHS, uh, you can find a local representative in your area, and they can give you the breakdown if there's any special loans for women. Awesome. Rob, thank you so much. If you guys are interested in talking to Rob directly about his real estate involvement or even for some of his coaching services, you can reach Rob at www.robscoaching.com. Um, we thank you so much for being part of the Capicool family. Uh, we hope to talk to you uh, soon about other very, very detailed pieces of this puzzle that we just kind of did an overview on today. Here, here, Robert. It All was right. a wonderful, informative segment. Thank you. 
Thank All you right. so we'll much. Check. Thanks for having me on. Muchas gracias. Good night. Suave. Okay. So, Maria, we're at the uh, very <coughs> We actually went into a little overtime. Um, people who are listening to this right now have to listen to it only by downloading it because we already went off the air. Um, uh-huh. I want to thank you for being here tonight because it means so much to me. You have no idea how much it means that you came here to share this night with us. And uh, and I know for a fact that we're going to be working on more Latina empowerment uh, projects that are going to empower our community are here in New York the, City. We're off the air? No, we're on the air, but oh. we're, we're we're in the recording mode. We're we're, we're oh okay. We're, we're, we're in bonus uh, material at this point. Bonus material, <laughs> okay. Yeah, this is the, the special bonus for the iTunes and the podcast download people. Well, I have to so. tell you, it was an awesome show from the top of the show to the very end, and um, I was reading the comments in the chat room, so everybody was making me laugh while I was listening to the conversations with the comments, but it the response really shows the interest and the need in the areas that were covered tonight. Absolutely. And I I think they can be revisited. Now, for people people, um, uh, that want to know how they can get in touch with you, Maria, for bookings and uh, for book sales, et cetera. Uh, Well, if uh, if they want to get in touch with me for bookings, for poetry readings and presentations, they can inbox me on Facebook. Um. My website should be going live in another week or so. Uh, that that'll be the other option, and um, they can email me if they have any questions, especially if anything career related. Uh, they can email me at aponte underscore maria at hotmail dot com. Again, aponte underscore maria at hotmail dot com. And transitions of a new Eurekan Cinderella is available on Amazon dot com. And at the East Harlem Cafe. And at the East Harlem Cafe and at La Casa La Casa Azul, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Shout out to Aurora. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, Big so that's out. it, mi gente. This is, the, this is my favorite part of the show. I mean, besides the show itself, but this is like my favorite part because I love this clip. Listen to it. Good night, George.